welcome to the Heart of England Toastmasters podcast. My name is Pierre and I'm your host. Thank you for listening. And if you would like to join us for our Toastmasters meeting right now, it's hybrid. So you can attend in person or online. For all details, please go to heartspeakers.org.uk. Today, I have a very special guest with a very long resume. So I don't know if you're ready for this. He's a former VPM, former VPE, former area director, and distinguished Toastmaster. So today we do have a rock star. Say hello to Sanat. Hello, Sanat. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm doing wonderfully well. Thank you for inviting me on to the Heart of England podcast. I'm, I'm excited and I'm looking forward to sharing some, some thoughts and views and uh, speaking with you. The pleasure is literally all mine. So we'll start at the beginning. You are not from Solihull, I understand. No, uh, no, I come from downtown, origin, uh, originally Bombay, Mumbai. Now, uh, I, my father, he left uh, to seek a better life for us as a family. In 1957, I was four weeks old. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, I didn't see him again, nor did my two brothers and my mother up until four years later and he invited us uh, over uh, my mother speak, spoke very little english we spoke no english at all and we came over in 1961 wow. and we've been based in the west midlands since that time and uh, so um yeah did, did you come oh, straight to the west midlands then from india yeah we from... took a boeing 707 in those days one of nice. those gas uh, guzzlers uh, we came to london we boarded the train and uh, we sort of tipped out at uh, West, West Bromwich, I think it was. And uh, when we arrived, it was one of the coldest winters. In fact, we never had a winter in India, so it was just cold full stop. And being just a four-year-old, um, I remember reaching out from the window at some of the icicles. And the icicles were taller than myself, but we could reach up. At, it was um, quite a start, start, uh, stark difference from something like 38, 40 degrees down to something like uh, zero degrees. It was uh, quite, a, quite a difference for us. Wow, that's amazing. Do you know why he picked the Midlands out of curiosity? Well, my father, he, um, like so many of youngsters, uh, you know, you were talk he was talking in maybe one of the sort of tea, tea shops um, and folks was talking about uh, streets paved with gold and opportunities abroad. So my father got that kind of luster to try and uh, improve his studies. And he applied both to the UK and the USA. And hmm. it was just the visa came through first for the UK. And a couple of weeks after he left, the visa for the US came through. So it's a question of that came first. And so my father came originally with just a sheet of paper. It had gotten a dress on, you know how it is. Someone says, if ever you are in England, visit the brother of an uncle, of a nephew, and, and, and here's an address. So when he arrived, he sort of presented it to the taxi driver as he got off the railway station. And he said, oh, I know the house you want to go to. It was like one house where about eight other Asians was, were, were living. And from those early beginnings, my father studied, uh, saved some money. And my mother wrote to him just about every week reminding him he had three kids and a wife and not to forget us and it took him four years before he was in a position to invite us over and um he's passed away now but we're so lucky and blessed that we, he made and my wife mother made that sacrifice and uh, 
made us gave us the opportunities for for what we are here today that's wonderful uh, by the way we of course make this podcast available as an audio file every week but this week uh, it's definitely a treat to have the video podcast so if you have the occasion to log on to our youtube channel to check out this podcast i would really advise you to do so okay so let's go back to you and your family so what did your father do well my father he um he was originally a bookkeeper in india my when he married my mother the, my grandfather said you know what you're a bookkeeper and there's nothing wrong with being a bookkeeper but you're probably one amongst millions here uh, he said why don't you take on a trade and so my grandfather who was an electrician uh, he encouraged him to to look at that trade so my father studied in india then came to the uk qualified and he was um, he became an electrician he was mm -hmm. a uh, worked with his hands he was a humble man and like so many uh, he had more than one job two jobs we didn't see a lot of him, uh, but uh, he worked quite hard for us. Uh, my father took us from West Bromwich and he took us to uh, Longbridge near the Austin Car Company, where it was located. And because at that time there was um, there was a kind of discrimination. They called it color bar. You know, you, you, you people didn't like you to live next door to them at that time. Uh, and so my father had to go out quite quite a distance and. Uh, we eventually, my father eventually bought a, a house from a church, a priest. My father said, look, if you're not going to sell it to us, then don't show it to us. And the priest said, look, if you want this house, it's yours. And that's the reason why we, we, were, we were all the way down to Longbridge, where there was no other ethnic minority. We were the only ones there. Uh, but that, my father said, the UK is the country in which you're going to be brought up. So... Like so many, they say you need to be twice as good to get half the chances. And that always stuck with us. We didn't really betray the kind of sacrifice that all parents make for their children, in particular my mother and father. And uh, without much uh, cash or opportunity, we just made the most of it like so many of us did. And of course, our generations that followed us have found things uh, a little easier. It's not all plain sailing. I've got two daughters, uh, they've studied, and uh, the legacy my father and my mother has given us has given a pretty good platform for uh, for them, and I'm hoping they're going to make the best of it also. Yeah, actually, I meant to ask you about that, because, right, you know, we're in a, you know, we're both brown, shockingly, yeah. Yeah. and <laughs> it's, you know, we're in an age of, you know, racial, more of a racial awareness than racial, racial reckoning, I should say. I don't reckoning, but people are more aware of, you know, it is different to grow up you know, brown or black or Asian. How was how was it growing up in England at that time, being Indian? Well, you know, I, there was really no sort of um, support system. So I spent the first year at primary school as the milk monitor and the chief pencil sharpener. Nobody really took time out to uh, try and get you to understand English or anything else for that matter. So it was it was a it was pretty tough. Um, then we had, obviously, Mr. Enoch Powell with his Rivers of Blood speech, which tended to uh, foretell a Armageddon of, uh, through uh, racial interaction and mingling. And, uh, you know, that was, uh, that was, there was quite a bit of trouble. There were skinheads who were running uh, 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 families scared of being out in the community. And of course, it wasn't until the mid-70s that racial discrimination became a, a, a illegal 
a thing to do mm. by statute, by parliament. And yet, you know, people still did. So um, just like seatbelt wearing is compulsory, it wasn't before, drink driving, uh, uh, you know, racial uh, uh, and also equality from a gender point of view. All of these things came much later. And it's good. It's about time that it did. So I think it's still true. Uh, ethnic minorities or uh, my two daughters or female, they, you know, they, they probably still have to work twice as hard to get half the opportunities. It's not fair. It's not equal, but that's what it is. But I think, you know, what we'll be leading on to the, the, the skills of investing in yourself, personal development, seeing the glass half full rather than half empty. You know, so many folks go about saying, oh, I see the glass half full. But the trouble is when you look into it, you actually see this half full of poison. Uh, and if only those people who boasted about seeing the half, glass half full really acknowledged what the responsibility of that belief is, 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 in, is to show in all the things that you do. And certainly uh, that's what we had to do. We, we had a glass half full. Uh, and we always work forward from that. I think this this opportunity, and we'll talk about it joining Toastmasters. I, I joined an organization before that, which, which was Junior Chamber. But it's it's about knowing that there's always a better you that you 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 need to seek to find. Really, it's a lifelong search mm -hmm. uh, to give yourself permission. Uh, you mentioned we're both uh, brown and ethnic background but giving ourselves permission that uh to to want more but to be able to feel that you deserve more from life and it's not a bad thing to actually want more Absolutely. as long as you want as long as you take more or receive more but and i always say to my daughter i said look you can be shrewd which is benefiting but you're not benefiting at someone's expense but so many people choose to be cunning and cunning is where you succeed in my opinion at the expense of someone else and if you can take the approach that have, being better is something you should always work to in life, being open to receiving more because you receive, you deserve more. And of course, uh, you know, uh, the audacity for adventure, coming out of your comfort zone, and oftentimes as ethnic minorities, but also others that you see disadvantage in some way, it's better to play safe. And I think it's it's important that we break out of that and we equip ourselves with skills that enable us to be all the things that we were meant to be or we dream of. Okay. Uh, yeah, so, on, uh, yeah. on that subject, I'm guessing your father didn't want you to be an electrician like he was. So what did you study after school? Well, going into school, I should say, at uni. Or... By all means, I mean, the school we went to was, um, uh, but, you know, I, I had an infant school primary school and secondary school it was all on the same street it's like a conveyor belt you went from one to the other to the other and uh, secondary modern school because we're so close to the car factory basically the teachers did their best but it was crowd control most of the time and ambitions people didn't really have any because you had the, the car production line just down the road and the pay there was pretty good so most people just didn't have any ambition in fact when I and my brother, we, we took the exams in the UK. We have O-levels mm -hmm. um, and CSCs and O-levels. And uh, the headmaster wrote to the newspaper. He said, Asian boys attempt 
O levels uh, because it wasn't expected. Uh-huh. You know, because you had a job down at the production line to actually study and to work towards a qualification. And and the the, the, the reporters came from the local Birmingham Post and Evening Mail took photographs. I still have a tipping of that uh, where where the headmaster was, you know, sort of stood there quite proud and sort of said, you know, boys attempt and succeed at getting O-levels. Uh, from that, uh, I, 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 I took some uh, A-levels and I did join the car company, uh, but I joined as a marketing graduate as opposed to perhaps uh, nothing wrong with working on the production line. But uh, so that gave me an insight into sales and marketing. Mm-hmm. And for two years, I worked in Redditch in the marketing uh, department. And then from that, I got a, there was a lot of turmoil in the car industry. I don't know. Yes, the had, that's right. We had Red Robbo and we had uh, was Michael Edwards and we had all of these things. And uh, uh, there was uncertainty about job security. And I had a letter uh, sent to me uh, to... The uh, business address in the car uh, where I was working at the, uh, the Austin Car Company, and inside I opened the letter, and, and it was just a blank sheet of paper. And at the bottom of it, it said, "We've been told you are unhappy. If this is so, ring this telephone number after 6 p.m. any weekday." Wow. So then I looked around, and I think, which of my colleagues here is pulling my leg? And I was looking at, I said, "It's you, isn't it? It's you." Or I would ring someone up and say, have you just sent me a bogus letter? And having exhausted all the usual suspects, I plucked up the courage to ring this number up after 6 p.m. And yes, someone picked up the phone. And yes, there was someone at the end of it who said they were looking for someone to join them in there to help them in their marketing and in their business. And so I went and joined a from a big corporate company down to a small family business in Worcester as their marketing manager and uh, actually did that that austin factory closed didn't it it did yeah it was it was um it went from struggle to more struggle it was a great time to be in a company because there was always a disaster there was always a campaign to try and recover and there's always a big major plan to try and put it back on its feet uh, it got changed to rover cars then it got taken over by bmw Yes. And then BMW gave 400 million or so and said, please get off our books. <laughs> and eventually it was called MG yes. Cars. And it eventually folded um, and by the Phoenix Five, who were supposed to be there to help the company, but I think they helped themselves more so. And unfortunately, we lost really the car company, as we can speak of, that was there. I'm saying you could have taken a job as an assemblyman, again, nothing wrong with that, but your future would have probably got cut short. So now you decide to go a different way, and yeah. now you're with this company in Worcester. So how's that company doing? Well, that was it's still going. I still audiovisual is still going. And um, but what that gave me, I I I have set up a import export company for my managing director, and we we're importing furniture from the United States. We were consolidating uh, at the Great Lakes, bringing it along the St. Lawrence Seaway back across to Liverpool or one of the ports here in the UK. We were storing it in a warehouse and then I found distributors to uh, stock and sell the furniture that I imported from the States. And one of the things there was storage equipment uh, for videotapes. And of course, when I when I left, I said audiovisual, 
you know, I said, look, you know, I, I couldn't really help the MD. He was fixed in his ways. And so I left and I thought, what can I do? And um, either apply to go back into the corporate world or start up my own business. And so the Midlands is a region of metal bashers. And I thought, surely we can make shelving for storing videotape and film and scripts and scores and all the other stuff that goes with broadcast companies here in the UK. And yes, we can. Oh, I was nice. able to set up a company called Storewell Systems, which I still own and run now. Uh, and uh, we solve physical storage problems. And that's provided okay. me with a, a useful, handsome living, as well as uh, gainful employment for my colleagues who work with me. Unfortunately, this is the point where Sanat and I had some technical difficulties. A few minutes of our conversation didn't get recorded. However, keep listening. Sanat does come to the part of where you use gestures and body language to enhance your speech. So yeah, where did you pick up your, your gestures? So you're saying that you basically was from school to make yourself understood. So is your brother as animated as you are? Well, no, I don't think so. I think the thing is, um, I'm the, the youngest uh, in there. And I guess uh, when you're the youngest, you've got to, I wouldn't say fight your corner, but you've got to look out for yourself. I've got two elder brothers and they always said um, the youngest gets away with everything. The eldest is always um, slapped down and can't go out late and all those other things. But um, I think it was just a question of... Um, being more curious, I guess I was the most curious curious of, of the brothers, and the curiosity can often get you into trouble, but also can present to you opportunities. And yeah, you know, it, it, not having English as your first language, not speaking English in a country where everybody didn't speak anything other than that, forced you to be able to describe what it is you wanted in, in physical form by shaping it or by describing it. And, and, and I think... Um, that, that probably certainly helped well to uh, you look at that expression. But I think the, the, the thing about acting is this, is that what words will describe part of the picture, but that's only a part. To, compl to complement it, if you can provide more description, either through a prop or through your body language or something that can add to it, you transform a presentation from something that's perhaps possibly interesting to something that's compelling and so i would urge everyone to consider a form of animation acting to add that to your speech it's not just about acting being something that you're not that's not what we mean by acting what we're looking right. at saying is this you described one of the speeches which was um uh, uh, it was uh, a point in history uh, illustrate a point in history through a speech and you indicated the, 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 the assassination of JFK, which is a speech that I did. And in that, what we're looking at doing is role play, which is a form of acting. And role play, the difference between acting and role play is that you're not imitating being someone else, but you're being yourself, but in the shoes of that person. And therefore, that can mean taking on an accent. It can mean taking on the characteristics, which will help to be able to convey the atmosphere, the placing of what it was like at that time. And by using that, the role play in your speeches. So, for example, if you had a father and a son and you were describing that conversation, well, you would speak in a deeper voice of the father 
and you might speak in a lighter voice of the sun. But by taking that diversity, by being able to have those role models, you're able to convey more the difference between the one person and the other person. And you can add, but if you were to use the same kind of voice and the same volume throughout, it would be less um, uh, captivating, less compelling. And so acting is something that all speeches would benefit from. Being gestures will help the audience to be able to feel what it is that you're saying. If you have a bigger stage, you could place different parts of your speech in different locations. So, for example, you could say the campfire over here, and then you could say the the outside of the village was on the other side of the stage. And you could say that as the light of the fire diminished, and therefore the darkness increased, and so people were fearful to go too far from the fire, but they stayed closer to it. And you can imagine, not it's just the heat, you can hear the crackle of the fire as the logs started to crumble and new logs were added, and you can hear that sparkle and spit of the, the embers, but you clung to that light because of the safety that it gave. The crackle of the fire meant that you were still safe, and when it started to get less, someone would be nudged to throw another log on the fire so that then the light increased and everybody could feel that much safer. And it's that, if you were to describe that otherwise and just said that in words without being able to convey the, the, the feeling of what was there at that time, the speech would probably be less than if you were to, to show that. Um, and so I think animation and acting is, is, is compulsory if you want to make a speech compelling. Yeah, I think, want... as I said, I hope everybody can see what you're doing. It's actually... It's just, uh, I'm speechless. It's just brilliant the way you do it, and I love it. And obviously, it's not easy for everybody to embody their speech. So what's your advice for somebody who wants to get more into, you know, more gesture into their speech? What's your advice? Well, I think my advice is to reconnect and familiarize yourself with all the different elements that you have at your disposal as a speaker. You've got eyebrows, you've got eyes, you've got a big smile, your face has got so many muscles. Oftentimes we forget to, to recognize we have them and to be able to express different emotions in our face. Have a mirror, practice. There's probably 10 classic expressions and because we've forgotten them and we sometimes have a poker face and we are not able to express this. So what I would advise is think about eyebrows, get those practicing. Think about eyes, wide or slow. Think about expressions in your face. Then work down and think about your torso, how you might, if you have it side on or have it front forward. Think of your hands, the, the shaping, and the, the, the formation that you can have of your hands is just reconnecting with your limbs. See, when you can think of expressions, some I've seen some speakers where their hand expressions is down here. And what I say to everyone is that if you want to add drama to your hand gestures, don't keep them down here. 
Because imagine someone said, can you tell me which direction I need to go in? And you said, yeah, you need to go in that direction. They haven't seen that, okay? And they might say, okay, where's the fire? And if you said the fire's over there and it's terrible, but if you said the fire's over there, absolutely terrible, the higher the hand gesture, higher the hand gesture, the greater the impact. So think about general gestures at chest level where people can see it. But if you really want to make drama, imagine this, you say, how happy are you? I am really happy. I am really happy. I am ecstatic. So how high your hand gestures are is an indication of the strength of that emotion. As but I said, it's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Actually, I actually have one question related to that. Do you feel you adjusted your speech delivery to the Zoom world as we've been in the last 18 months? Or you feel it, it's been just a natural transition? It's a great question, isn't it? I think, this, I think this current pandemic has forced us to communicate in 2D rather than 3D. And I know we're providing hybrid uh, presentations and oftentimes if we can get at least some information through any form and, and, and online is, is one that's readily available to us. And of course we must embrace it and take this on board. And what it has meant is, is that if you simply are sitting in front and you speak like this, then you're restricted just to eyes and face. And of course, if that's all you can do, that's what you must do, but make the most of it. But then if you were to step back and if you're able to put more into your speech by those expressions, but realizing that you are constrained within this scope that you have, but you can make the most of it and you can bring to the people who are listening to you more interest, more captivation, more that message is going to get absorbed more. I mean, we all work the same 24-hour clock, don't we? Nobody can get more than 24 hours. And we all have got to decide how we spend that. We can either spend it sitting down on a couch doing nothing and complaining, or we can step up. We can step up, step out and say, look, if it's to be, it's up to me. And what I get out of life is because what I expect out of life. And so I think the Zoom world has forced us to be able to constrain ourselves 2D within this, but don't make it any smaller than you need to. Try and make it as big as you can. And when you bring yourself either to Zoom or to the room physically, bring your personality. Bring your personality. Toastmasters either physically is an opportunity for us to turn our magic on the dial of our magic. We have it here. And we usually have it turned down because we don't believe, A, we've got the magic, and we don't believe we anybody's gonna believe the tricks that we that we show. But recognize this, we all have the magic in us, and we need to turn that volume right up. Bring your personality to the room, but bring your personality to your speeches. It's important we get to know who you are, what you're feeling, what your personality is. And if you don't have a personality, and I believe everyone has, you just need to rediscover it. And you think, okay, what is that personality? And that personality is the fun, the person who you always were, that the one person who jumped out the tree 
landed on their feet, their head, their shoulders, were able to get up and go up the tree again and jump again, had the audacity to say, I'm going to keep jumping until I'm jump and roll and do it properly. We've all done it. We've jumped on, we've jumped on a bike and cycle like mad. We've done all these things, but as we get older, we do less and less of this. All it is is saying, refine the person you were always, you just forgot it. And if you can do that, and you will do that, and you choose to do that, you'll, I believe, get more out of life and people will get more out of you. You know, I think this is probably one of a good place for us to stop. I could probably talk to you for another three to four hours, to be honest, because I mean, this has been just seeing you quote unquote perform. I think it's just eye opening to me. And I think when people can see you on our YouTube channel, they'd be like, oh, wow, that's that's how you deliver a speech with with body and with acting I mean, acting in the most and in the best way. Uh, once again, Sarah, thank you. Is there where can people find you online? Well, I have um, I, I have a, a YouTube. Um, it's www.sanatshalat.com, uh, where I've got one or two videos that's there. Uh, there's not a lot of information in particular, but if anybody wants to, uh, please Google Heart of England Toastmasters. Not only will you find myself, you'll find like-minded Toastmasters of outstanding ability. And I know Pierre is far too humble. Yeah, you are one of our star speakers, whom I personally enjoy at, and am inspired by the speeches that you give. And it, we all have something to learn from each other. No matter how much we share, we have got more and equal to learn. So, you know, it's it's. I would say, come come look up Toastmasters wherever you are. It's a family global organization. Look it up. You'll be most welcome. But I'm at part of England. We're in the middle of the UK, halfway from everywhere, close to nowhere. But you're most welcome to join us, part of England. Yeah, we'll put the link in our uh, in our uh, video or in our podcast for people to find you. Once again, Sonat, thank you. My name is Pierre, and I'm your host for the Heart of England Toastmasters podcast. Once again, find us uh, online at heartspeaker.org.uk. We will meet online or hybrid uh, every first and third Tuesday of the month. For all details, go to our website, heartspeakers.org.uk. Once again, Sanat, thank you very much for coming on the podcast. And You're everybody welcome. else, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Bye.